Turn to Ephesians, we're on chapter 5 now, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 and the title of my sermon is Imitating God. We live in a world in which kings, queens, other national leaders set themselves or they take their stand against Almighty God, they take counsel against the Lord and against his Christ. It is a world in which people deny the very existence of the Creator God. Instead of bowing down to their Maker, they they embrace evolution and they worship the gods of their own sinful imagination. Gods that are crafted with their own sinful hands. We've been seeing something of that just in um, just a few minutes ago in Romans chapter 1. For all that, the Apostle Paul encourages Christians to be imitators of God, whom this world hates. We're to imitate the God that this world hates, rejects, denies. As Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love, as Christ also have loved us, and have given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. So, there you have it in verse 1. We are to be followers of God. To be a follower of God is to imitate him. I don't know, I haven't checked, but you may well have Uh, be imitators of God or even imitators of Christ, I think I've seen before in other Bible versions. The Greek word that has been translated follower is mimetes, from which we get our English word mimic. This is not the only call to imitate God. In his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ said in chapter 5 and verse 48, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So, we're to be followers, stroke imitators of God, and we're to be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. In this world that rejects, hates God. Straight away, given what this world thinks of God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he have sent, given just how much this world is in rebellion against God's holy laws, can you see that being an imitator of God will not win you any popularity prizes? Being an imitator of God, being perfect, even as your Heavenly Father is perfect, does not mean that you are being commanded to be sinlessly perfect. God is sinlessly perfect. Uh, We're certainly not being commanded to be sinlessly perfect. Which is just as well, because as you continue your Christian walk, perhaps the longer you've been a Christian, the more you'll realise this, it certainly is the case with me, as you continue your Christian walk, seeking God's grace and his enabling to follow and imitate him, 
to imitate your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that there's never a day that goes by when you are not confessing your sins to God, your Heavenly Father. You're anything but perfect thoughts and words and deeds make it very clear to you that your acceptance before God is and always will be in his beloved Son. Even so, as a Christian, I trust that you really do strive to be a follower or an imitator of God, not as someone who is seeking to earn favour from God, but as a dear child of God. We're dear, we've got dear here in verse 1, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Dear means beloved, beloved children. Generally speaking, it's a child's desire to imitate his father, especially a father who loves him and who cares for him. He'll even adopt some of his father's mannerisms. You see that with children, copying them, even copying their mother, copying father. If you're a Christian, God is your father and he has loved you with an everlasting love, a love that was manifested at the cross. As for caring for you, there is never a time when God, your Heavenly Father, is not with you. Not only do you seek God's enabling grace as you strive to imitate him, to do his will, but also you earnestly pray to be conformed to the image of his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Therefore, as you prayerfully study the word of God in order to learn more about God and to discern his will, it is your prayer to be more like Jesus. You read the word of God so that you will learn more and more about Jesus in order that you might be an imitator of the God of your salvation. In the context of what immediately precedes Chapter 5 and verse 1, it can be seen that imitating God includes forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see that? Be ye therefore, in chapter 5 verse 1, you, obviously you've got to look above that to verse 32 in the previous chapter. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. The forgiveness of your sins was accomplished at the cross, for without the shedding of blood is no remission, no forgiveness, no deliverance. If it were not for the blood that was shed when the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life for you, you would still be under condemnation. You would still be without hope if it were not for the cross of Christ. Consequently, it is, it is inconceivable that you as a Christian would not, with all your heart, forgive your repentant brother's sins against you. It simply would not make sense for you as a Christian who has been forgiven so much not to forgive a repentant brother or sister in Christ. As Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, 
Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Continuing with his exhortation to imitate God, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 5, and walk in love, as Christ also have loved us, and have given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling savour. Way back in chapter 2, Paul described the ungodly way of life of the Ephesians when they were dead in their sins as unbelievers, and he did so in terms of it being a walk. Paul keeps referring to a walk in this epistle to the Ephesians. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and three, one through to 3. Chapter 2, verse 1. This is how you used to walk before you became a Christian. And you, have he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, Paul including himself, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, that is the wrath of God, even as others. So that's how it used to be for you, dear Christian, isn't it? Let me remind you that those who are referred to as the others at the end of chapter 2 and verse 3 includes all of you Christians before you were quickened and before you were saved by the grace of God and includes all of you who thus far have not repented and have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I just read there, verses 1 to 3, about walking according to the lusts of the flesh, your mind, walking according to the course of this world, doing what you want essentially. If it feels good, do it. All of that, that is you now, if you are not trusting in Jesus. If you have no interest in the Saviour's blood. In contrast, Paul said in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So he's talking about walking again, but not walking according to the course of this world. Walking worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's an entirely different walk, and so it should be when you consider that born-again Christians are entirely different to what they once were. They are now new creatures in Christ. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Is that the reality in your life? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's certainly a challenge to me. I don't pretend to be there by a long chalk. And I've already said that our acceptance is and always will be in the Beloved. But we ought to be challenged by the Word of God. And that should bring us to our knees in prayer. Now in chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul is still talking about Christian conduct in terms of it being a walk. And he exhorts the Ephesians to walk in love. Walking in love embraces every other aspect of the Christian walk. I'm trying to remember it now, just what I read to you in chapter 4. Walking in meekness, humility, what is it he said here? Meekness, long-suffering, loneliness, forbearing one another in love. It's all about love. Ultimately, everything needs to be soaked in love. Love is most vividly seen at the cross where the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was lifted up to die. As Paul said elsewhere, God commendeth his love towards you. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If ever you want to just define love or point people to love, the cross. Greatest example of love ever. Nothing can beat it. In verse 1, Paul's exhortation was directed at the readers of this epistle and so he used the pronoun you. Again, looking at chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye, or you, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. However, that soon changed when in verse 2, his exhortation was one of walking in love and his example was the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificially laying down his life. You'll see that his exhortation to walk in love was to himself as much as to anyone else. Paul, who used to be a Pharisee, who persecuted the church beyond measure, and he did his level best to destroy the church, was himself the object of the love of God. Therefore, how could he not include himself in verse 2, when he talks about walking in love? He was consumed and constrained by the love of God towards himself. And that's clearly seen in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he said, The Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. More to the point, if whilst we were held deserving sinners, Christ died for us, how can we not walk in love? Walking in love, which includes forgiving one another, shows us to be what we claim to be. Children of God, who is love. We now come to verses in which Paul names various practices and conditions of the heart that are not commensurate, they are not consistent with walking the Christian walk. 
In fact, they should not even be mentioned, let alone committed by the children of God. Verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Even though fornication or sexual immorality barely raises an eyebrow in this world, it ought never even to be spoken about, let alone practised by the people by people who have been made holy and separated from this world unto God. Also, in the very same verse as fornication, you'll see that there is covetousness. In verse 3 there, covetousness, which is greediness, or desiring to have more of the things of this world. Covetousness is not only unbecoming for Christians, it is inconsistent with walking in the paths of righteousness as you are led by the Lord Jesus Christ when you consider that Christians already have more than this whole world can give. Most of all, if you're a Christian, you have Jesus. You have no business being covetous, having that desire, an all-consuming desire to have more of the things of this world. And I do find it really interesting that that covetousness is in the same verse as fornication. Indeed, it was lumped together with the sexual sins in Romans chapter 1, covetousness. Clearly, it's a very serious matter. Indeed, it's the 10th commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt not covet. Let's have a look at verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. This verse deals with what proceeds from the mouth. Obscene speech, foolish language, and jesting are what you will hear just about everywhere. And even in your own home, as soon as you switch on your TV. But they are not ways in which Christians should communicate and express themselves. We who belong to Jesus ought to take a leaf out of the book of the psalmist who said, My tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. So you've got the psalmist who meditates on the word of God day and night and the psalmist here who shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Isn't that something we should pray that we would be like as well? Let's have a look at verses 5 and 6. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. In these verses, Paul returns to what he has already said in verse 3. And he enforces his admonition with a warning that far from being imitators 
of God, as beloved children of God, the reality is that those who commit the sins of verse 5, verse 3 there, they are the children of wrath that we saw in chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2. That is the wrath of God and they have no heavenly inheritance. In verse 5, Paul again mentions covetousness in the same breath as sexual sin. And he makes it clear that a covetous man is no different to a pagan idolater who worships gold instead of God. It's not for nothing that in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul said that the love of money is the root of all evil. I don't know if any of us really appreciate just how much that is the reality at the moment in this world. The love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of what you, what, what's going on if, you, if you're an observer of world affairs, if you just dig a little bit beneath the surface, you'll see money and greed. Let's have a look at verses 7 and 10. Through to 10 rather, 7 through to 10. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. In chapter 4 verse 18, Paul has already referred to darkness as being ignorance. People whose understanding is darkened, They are ignorant. Their hearts are hard and they are morally and spiritually blind. We use that word, don't we? It's not a very nice word. We might call someone ignorant. But we see what ignorant is here in the Bible. Ignorant is having a hard heart. A darkened heart. Someone who is ignorant of God and the things of God. Spiritually, morally blind. The Lord Jesus Christ has said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. With that in mind, Paul's exhortation is quite simply that the Ephesians, and not just the Ephesians, to you here, dear Christian, you are to walk not in ignorance, but in a manner that is consistent with being lights in this dark world of sin, as you follow the the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that, didn't he, in his Sermon on the Mount, that ye are lights of the world. Walking as children of light, as opposed to walking according to the course of this world, with all its fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, and so on, is seen in three cardinal qualities which Paul describes as fruit. Goodness, righteousness and truth. We see that there in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. The fruit of goodness results in a child of God being ruled by what is morally good. In other words, you love God's law after the inward man. 
You love those laws which are all about loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with your whole being, and loving your neighbour as yourself, even your unborn neighbour. Righteousness means purity of life, and it is the opposite of sinfulness. A person who is clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, if you're clothed in his righteousness, then you live righteously in this present world. You walk in the path of righteousness or you're led by the Lord Jesus Christ in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Again, it doesn't mean that you live a sinlessly perfect life. But I think you know what I mean. It is your heart's desire to do that which is right, which is pleasing to God. As for truth in verse 9, it is the very opposite of what is so prevalent in this world with all its lying, deception, pretense and so on. We live in a world where truth counts for nothing. It is a world that hates the Lord Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth. Lying lips are an abomination unto the Lord. Even so, this is a world in which its leaders seem to lie every time they move their lips. That should not be a distinguishing mark of someone who has been set free by the truth in order to be followers and imitators of God. Finally, what do you most want? What do you most want to do? What is your chief desire? When a person walks in the light, he not only produces the fruit of goodness, righteousness and truth, but also he is able to discern what is, what is acceptable to the Lord as he holds up everything to the light of scripture, every thought, every word, every action of this world. But most of all, every thought, every word, every action of himself. And as he earnestly seeks to be an imitator of God, with thanksgiving in his heart for God's love for him, a love that laid his vile sins upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He will be like the psalmist whose desire was seen in the following prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen.